didn't take you all long to erase Tony Gonzalez from the collective fantasy football memory bank. Because Tony Gonzalez and Antonio Gates are essentially the same guy. Two of the top three tight ends of all time will be retiring after their age 37 season. In his age 37 season, Tony Gonzalez posted 83 receptions for 859 yards and eight touchdowns. He was a top three fantasy tight end that season. Because of course he was. He's Tony Gonzalez. Duh, duh, duh. That's the word that immediately comes to mind every time I talk to fantasy analysts about Antonio Gates. Draft Antonio Gates. Duh. Antonio Gates was a tight end one in fantasy last year. He was a tight end one in fantasy the year before. And he was a tight end one in fantasy the year before that. And he was a tight end one in fantasy the year before that. And he was a tight end one in fantasy the year before that. And he was a tight end one in fantasy the year before that. And 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 the year before that. But no, this year, no, it's all going to be different. Why? Hunter Henry. That's why. Hunter Henry. Don't forget about Hunter Henry. Hunter Henry filled in admirably in the three games that Antonio Gates missed last season. Great job, Hunter Henry. (laughs) Wonderful. Just wonderful job for a rookie tight end to post 11 points, 16 points, 16 points, and then 20 fantasy points from weeks three to week six. It's impressive. Who's not impressed by that? Anyone? Contact the show, rotounderworld at gmail.com or tweet us at rotounderworld if you're not impressed with that. I want to talk to you. I want to understand your thinking. How can you possibly not be impressed by that? But Antonio Gates is back. He's had a full offseason, no surgeries, no rehabilitations. Starting 2017 with a clean bill of health for the first time in years. And yet, this is the year we're just going to dismiss Antonio Gates and actually draft his backup Hunter Henry before him? So many fantasy gamers play the game backwards. That's why it's so easy to win. Fantasy football doesn't have to be hard. Just make the obvious moves and you win. It's it's just that easy. Draft Antonio Gates and laugh at your opponent when they draft Hunter Henry before Antonio Gates goes off the board. Just laugh in their face. Because Hunter Henry is a move tight end. He's not even a good blocker. So you can't expect him to be on the field in all game situations. He's going to get in the game as a slot receiver sometimes. But he's only 6'5", 250. He does not have the stature of an elite two-way tight end in the NFL. But he's being drafted as if, especially in Dynasty Leagues. And I understand he was a second-round pick, as was Adam Shaheen this season. And second round pick Hunter Henry was only drafted in the second round because he was the best tight end in the worst tight end class we've seen. Hunter Henry enters the NFL draft in 2017. He's a third rounder at best. Why? Because he wasn't particularly dominant at Arkansas. 20% dominator rating, 60th percentile, had a nice yards per reception, an early breakout age, positive indicators. The athleticism, not great. 101.5 speed score, 64th percentile, above average. But burst score, 111.6, well below average. And his 1157 agility score is exactly average. And because he lacks upper body strength, his Spark X score, 95.1, 10th percentile. I mean, it's not an impressive profile with the exception of a single metric breakout age. Breakout age is the only metric on the Hunter Henry prospect profile above the 70th percentile. So he was a precocious talent and he was the first tight end drafted last season. Yes, yes. 
but he's now viewed as the next it tight end in the NFL. And he's not that. He's the next Zach Ertz at best. He's not the next Greg Olson. He's not the next Travis Kelsey. And he's not even the starter on his own team. And I need to see more than 53 professional targets from Hunter Henry before I can say definitively, this is a top flight tight end in the NFL. I need more data. Those that are flying out to the extremes touting Hunter Henry are following the rule of small numbers, which is the path to a failed forecast. Hunter Henry is being drafted in the top 100 players on my fantasy league right now. Right? Like, that's silly. He's being drafted ahead of Delaney Walker and Martellus Bennett and Zach Ertz. So Hunter Henry's best case scenario in the NFL, Zach Ertz, he's already being drafted ahead of his own best case scenario. That's why Hunter Henry's best comparable player on playerprofiler.com is Hunter Henry. Because he's currently exceeding his own best case scenario comp. So in that case, we can only compare him to himself at this point. Just illustrates how absurd the Hunter Henry fantasy projections for 2017 have become. And if your name is Henry, whether it's Derrick Henry or Hunter Henry, you're overrated in fantasy football. And the two most overrated players in seasonal leagues right now both have the last name Henry. What's the probability of that ever happening again? Not just the name Henry, just the same last name. Any last name. Nuts! And I am interested in a tight end from the 2016 draft class. It's just not Hunter Henry. It's Austin Hooper. Because Austin Hooper was a very similar prospect to Hunter Henry. Austin Hooper, equally as productive, albeit at a later age, but much more athletic. And Austin Hooper and Hunter Henry were not only similar prospects with similar profiles. They've also landed in similar situations in the NFL on highly efficient offenses that visit the red zone a lot. The only difference is Austin Hooper is actually the starter. Hunter Henry is not. Yet my fantasy leaguers are drafting Austin Hooper at slot 133, over 30 slots after Hunter Henry. Again, backwards. Well, uh, Hunter Henry is a much better player. He was more efficient last season. Was he? Was he? Because Austin Hooper was incredibly productive on a per-target basis last season. Plus 33.0 production premium and a 10.0 yards per target. Both exceeded Hunter Henry's. And neither of the players logged a full snap share or commanded a full season of starters targets. So we're comparing small sample size to small sample size when we compare Austin Hooper to Hunter Henry. And Austin Hooper's best comparable player on playerprofiler.com is not Austin Hooper. It's Vance McDonald. Vance McDonald, yet another tight end I'm drafting because I seem to be the only individual in draft rooms that understands what a probable breakout tight end looks like. Vance McDonald posted 8.7 fantasy points per game, top 24 in the NFL last year, with Colin Kaepernick at quarterback. But when he did get opportunities to make plays, when he was targeted on an offense that rarely had the ball and preferred to run instead of throw, even when down double digits, when Vance McDonald was targeted, a uh, plus 17.6 production premium, plus 43.4 target premium. 
So when you compared Vance McDonald's per target output to the other members of the San Francisco 49ers passing game, he was close to 50% more productive on a per target basis. The target premium is useful when analyzing wide receivers and tight ends with bad quarterback play. Because if you have a bad quarterback, it's highly unlikely that you will be able to post a high catch rate. Damn near impossible. That's why 53.3% catch rate for Vance McDonald catching passes from Blaine Gabbert and Colin Kaepernick surprised no one last year. But when you compared what Vance McDonald was able to do with the targets he was afforded, he was much more productive on a per-target basis than his peers in the passing game, as was Kenny Britt on the LA Rams last season. The same case we make for Kenny Britt being one of the best value receivers in fantasy this year is the same case we would make for Vance McDonald as one of the best value tight ends this year as well. And while others are joining me in my Kenny Britt crusade, no one's joining me touting Vance McDonald. Why? Why is that? Why is that? Because the coaching staff likes how George Kittle looks in training camp. George Kittle looks great running routes against air. That's the reason why Vance McDonald's not being drafted in fantasy football, even though he is the quintessential breakout candidate, an efficient player whose role is growing on an offense that is destined to improve. Never mind. Don't want that player. Why? George Kittle. That's why. George Kittle is the reason. There is no other reason. George Kittle, a fifth-round tight end, who is very athletic, his best comparable player on playerprofile.com, Dustin Keller. George Kittle is an exciting talent, but he's a rookie tight end. Once in a while, you will see a Hunter Henry post a handful of fantasy viable weeks as a rookie, but it's very, very rare. So we're dismissing Vance McDonald in order to bet on an outlier, an extreme outlier, George Kittle? Really? Really? Oh, and there was news that the San Francisco front office is unhappy with Vance McDonald's contract because the former general manager signed Vance McDonald to an extension as one of his final acts in the GM chair. And the new general manager, John Lynch, thinks it's a bad contract. Oh, John. Oh, it's a bad contract. Oh, that's too bad. Oh, wait. The San Francisco 49ers have some of the most cap space in the NFL and need to get to the salary floor. So the argument against Vance McDonald and his contract has no merit. And yet here we are watching fantasy football drafts happen without Vance McDonald even being drafted. But this is why playerprofiler.com exists. He's in the first year of a contract and therefore is not a cut candidate. So he won't be cut and he will very easily outplay George Kittle during training camp and preseason because of course he will. Once preseason starts, the manufactured training camp rock stars often fade away. Why? Because once the full contact starts and a quarterback's health hangs in the balance, the coaches prefer the tight ends that play the position at a high level in all phases. And Vance McDonald plays all facets of one of the most difficult positions in all of sports at a high level. That's the starting point when discussing Vance McDonald. The starting point is not how good did George Kittle look in minicamp. But that's what's wrong with fantasy football analysis. It's backwards. And because it's backwards, we can move in and vacuum up all the Antonio Gates and all the Austin Hooper and all the Vance McDonald while the other guys are focused on the anecdotal coach preference talk from minicamp. 
Why is anyone talking about a rookie tight end? I just don't understand this. This is where player profiler and football analytics generally become very useful because you can go to our data analysis section, playerprofiler.com forward slash data dash analysis, and you can look up historical trends and you can see if it aligns with your intuition. Your intuition says a fifth round tight end like George Kittle is a long shot to contribute on offense this season. Go to playerprofiler.com's data analysis and test your hypothesis. And sure enough, he's the very definition of a long shot. As is Adam Shaheen on the Chicago Bears. But Adam Shaheen is the reason why Deion Sims is not being drafted where he belongs in fantasy drafts. And don't give me Zach Miller. Zach Miller is a move tight end. He only weighs 245 pounds. And he's now the third tight end on the Chicago Bears tight end depth chart. And he's due a little over $2 million. But if they cut him, there's only $500,000 in dead cap. So the Chicago Bears could save a million dollars by cutting their 32-year-old third-string tight end. I don't think Zach Miller has a place on a rebuilding Chicago Bears roster. So when we look at Deion Sims, we're right back where we were looking at Vance McDonald. We're looking at an efficient tight end in 2016 who checks all the boxes of a breakout candidate in 2017. On a low-volume offense in Miami last season, Deion Sims went out, posted a plus 18.8 production premium, top 10 in the NFL, and a 74.3% catch rate top 10 in the NFL. So when he's targeted, Deion Sims converts those receptions. And when you look at that target premium statistic that we mentioned earlier when talking about Vance McDonald, Deion Sims target premium last season with the Dolphins, plus 17.2%. So he exceeded expectations last season, which is why the Chicago Bears signed him to a surprisingly lucrative contract. Why do you think they signed him to a surprisingly lucrative contract? So he could back up Zach Miller? No. So he could back up rookie tight end from Ashland, Adam Shaheen? Hell no! So now Deion Sims and his 103.7 70th percentile height-adjusted speed score, standing 6'5", 262, looking the part of the quintessential two-way NFL tight end, goes to the Chicago Bears in his prime at 26 years old, it's all systems go for a Deion Sims breakout, and nobody gives a shit. And that's fine. That's why I don't draft tight ends in the first 10 rounds. Because I know Antonio Gates and Austin Hooper and Deion Sims and Vance McDonald will be available in the double-digit rounds. And the beauty is, you no longer have to set up an account on my fantasy league and be in front of a computer to participate in a best ball league. Because now we have Draft. The Draft app is here. You can draft season-long leagues on your phone in July. And because they're Draft Master Best Ball, you never have to spend a moment managing the roster during the season. You can just watch it play out. Go to PlayDraft.com now or go to your app store and search Draft. Download the app and you can join either a slow draft or a fast draft. The Draft app is the only app in all of fantasy football that supports both the season-long Draftmaster Best Ball format and DFS snake drafting during the season. So just get it now and join one of these fun, fast, seasonal best ball drafts and then continue to join DFS contests during the season. And when you download the app, use the promo code UNDERWORLD and you'll get one free entry into a best ball draft 
on your first deposit of $10 or more. So now let's go talk Scott Pianowski from Yahoo Sports, and we'll see if we can get into a raging debate about Antonio Gates. Follow him at Scott underscore Pianowski. Welcome to the Roto Underworld radio program. Scott Pianowski, you know him as a writer for Yahoo Sports. Scott, talk to me. Yeah, yeah, we just had a nice long talk about NFL uh, game theory. Uh, good warm-up before uh, we hit we hit play on this thing. And um, Oh, you're teasing the outtakes already. Love it. Yeah, right, right. What a great time to be alive, man. We got, um, I've been doing a bunch of MFLs. Obviously, Yahoo Sports is, is where I work, and our football game is, is ready for your mocking, for your real drafting, for your real auctioning. Yeah, mocks are up and running on Yahoo Sports. Check it out. Fantasy.yahoo.com. I just can't wait for training camp to happen. I, you know, obviously not not that many things happen in July, yeah, other than you know, there's a new Ezekiel Elliott blurb every other day, but um, or every other hour, I should say. But I'm just excited for the season, man. It's um, a really fun year. A lot of a lot of interesting challenges, and because of I think the way MFLs have changed, the way people prepare. It used to be that if we were talking this time of year, I'd say, oh yeah, you know, my drafts are starting in a week or two. You know, I haven't drafted yet, or I've drafted one team, or I drafted a magazine three three weeks ago, three months ago. I don't even remember it. But now I, I can say I've drafted twenty teams. You know, I already have a portfolio of guys. I already like. There's already guys who I feel partially dug in on, and so I, you know, it's it's a it's just an exciting time because the season it feels like we're on the. It, the, the preseason will feel like it's three months and it really you know, it's only like five or six weeks but I, I feel like we're really close to all the fun stuff happening i have a list of your highest owned players in my fantasy league 10 drafts so we'll be talking about that and then i'm sure you'll parlay these into the yahoo fantasy drafts that you'll be partaking in in august in early july a lot of us industry folk are industry folk what a lame phrase that was. A lot of us are in the Scott Fishbowl, and everyone is tired of talking about the Scott Fishbowl at this point. And on the last show, I lamented a failure drafting Spencer Ware over Eric Ebron. If I could do it again, if I could have a redo, I would go back in time, and I would take Ebron over Ware without even looking at my roster, just generally speaking. Was it a mistake drafting Spencer Ware over Eric Ebron for me? Yeah, I'm torn here because Ware was a guy who I was so high on last year, and I, I just thought that Charles was going to be a non-factor, and I fell in love with Ware. And it's hard when you love the player more than the team does, and <laughs> that's happened to me a bunch. For whatever reason, Ware couldn't score touchdowns, and then you know, obviously they've drafted Hunt now. And the thing with Ebron, it's it's so rare when. You just see things connect. The dots just connect so neatly with Ebron. He's in his fourth season, but he's just 24. He's got a first-round pedigree. The big problem with him last year was he wasn't scoring touchdowns because they had Anquan Bolden as a de facto tight end, and you know he's gone now. I, I guess there's an outside chance he may come back, but I don't think that's going to happen. So I experience, you know, pointing upward. He's still at a, at a, at a ripe age, but he has, you know, he, he's 24, first-round pedigree. They're, the receivers, even though the receivers are okay. There's no dominant guy who's going to score a bunch of touchdowns. I, I just feel like Ebron could easily score seven or eight touchdowns. Sure, yeah, there's going to be touchdown regression there. He's a tight end that commanded 85 targets last season, but only six in the red zone. So less than 10% of his overall targets were in the red zone. That's an exceptionally small percentage for a tight end. Just look at where he ranked in these categories. 14th in targets. 
49th in red zone target share. This is what we talk about when we talk about regressions. There's going to be a convergence where both of those numbers will come into line this season, and that's when you're going to see his touchdowns spike and he become a top 10 tight end in fantasy. And it's, yeah, it's a thing where you, you can analyze the past trends and usage patterns of teams till you're blue in the face, but the thing is the teams are always changing. The personnel is coming and going. Your teams change coaches, teams change coordinators, um, I mean, the fact that Bolden is gone and it doesn't seem like somebody major is going to come in. I, I mean, Bol- again, Bolden was basically used when they got inside the, the red zone. He was basically used as a, as a tight end. I mean, he would just run two yards, turn around, use that, that body, that wide body to block people out. He's not as tall as a normal tight end. But I'm surprised that so many people, because Ebron didn't do what they expected last year, they're just moving on from him. Like, that's it. Give up. Give up on Ebron. I mean, I, there's some people who were mocking on Twitter, and you know, you can find mocking on Twitter on you know, any subject you want. But there are some people who are mocking. Oh, you know, Eric Ebron. He's he's gonna. This is the year he breaks out, right? Like he's a seventh or eighth year player. He's like it's a big joke. It's hilarious. Right, right. Let's just make fun of Eric Ebron. And I, you know, when I first saw the, the case for him, and I don't think it's anything complicated. My first thought was, okay, everybody's going to feel this way, or most people are going to feel this way, and his ADP is going to float to some pl- place that maybe I don't want to pay for it. So it might be a player that I like. I like the way things line up, but I don't know if I want to pay the price. I, I have found a very affordable price in the leagues that I've been in, and I have some Ebron shares. I don't I don't have them on a ridiculous amount of teams, but I am invested in Ebron. I, again, I don't know. It just seems like everything connects. And, and then they're also, remember, they picked up his option already. They picked up his fifth-year option. So they've made a commitment to him. They see him as a part of their future. They're not asking him to have the prove-it year. He's, he's already vested for the next two years. So... I think that speaks to Detroit sees him as having expanded role as well. A lot of mocks I saw pre-draft had the Lions drafting either David Njoku or O.J. Howard, and that didn't happen. Instead, they recommitted to Eric Ebron, as you said. Now, look at Bolden. 16% target share last year was very low, 65th in the league, but his red zone target share of 26.7 was top 10 in the NFL. So you ask, why didn't Ebron get those targets last year? It was flipped. Between the 20s, they were throwing to Ebron on those intermediate routes. And then once they entered the red zone, all those targets were then funneled to Anquan Bolden. So his percentage of red zone targets to targets was the inverse of Eric Ebron's percentage of red zone targets to targets. So when that specific player leaves the offense... That's when we can start to speculate, oh, where are these targets going to go? And immediately, Eric Ebron steps forward, and it's obvious. This is where all those targets are going to go. And then you run the numbers in your head. What if his touchdowns double? Oh, shit. Oh, shit. It's on for Eric Ebron. It's not like they have some behemoth monster receiver who's going to be uh, you know, just gobbling up all, all the opportunity when they get close. I mean, obviously Calvin Johnson retired, and I don't think there's anything to that. I know they invited him to uh, to camp. I think he's happily retired. I, I mean, he, I think he was smart enough to get away from football when he could still walk and have a normal life. But this is not a team set up for somebody else on the roster to score a bunch of touchdowns. I, I think there's a reasonable chance that Eric Ebron leads the team in touchdown receptions. This is a guy who scored one last year. Very reasonable, absolutely. You could point to Kenny Galladay, but Kenny Galladay is a rookie, and most rookies do not contribute in year one. I know in 2014, we had an inordinate number of rookie-wide receivers, 
become fantasy viable. That's not normal. 2015, 2016, that's much closer to the norm when looking Mm -hmm. at contributions from rookie wide receivers. So I'm not betting on absolutely Kenny Galladay becoming the Detroit Lions red zone weapon. Maybe two years from now, you can speculate. But for now, for this year, for 2017, it's all about Eric Ebron in the red zone. Now, Derek Carr is the highest paid player in the NFL officially. We've talked about it on the show a couple times. Is he even the best quarterback in the AFC West? It's obviously Trevor Simeon, but uh, no, Philip Rivers would be my guy. Thank you. Thank you. You know, you know what's funny about the Chargers? I, this is kind of a silly thing to say, but I just wish they were playing in San Diego for another season. The idea of, of going to a new city, and I grant just a few hours up, up the coast, but they're playing in a soccer stadium. <laughs> it just seems, I don't know, the Chargers, nothing nothing ever seems like it's an easy transition for that team. It always feels like they're in some kind of flux. I really like this roster. Uh, Bosa, when he finally got on the field, was a monster. I think the defense might be really good. They have a lot of interesting offensive pieces. We, we don't know when Mike Williams will be ready to contribute, but Philip Rivers has a lot of guys to throw to. And Doesn't matter. Philip Rivers has a wealth of targets. I was talking to Warren Sharp from Sharp Football last week. Who's terrific, yeah. And the L.A. Chargers are one of his picks to exceed expectations, exceed their Vegas total win total, for example, because the defense is ascending, and Phillip Rivers has incredible weaponry. The team with some of the least vacated targets from last year mm-hmm. are the Chargers, and that's counting Keenan Allen missing most of the year. They're returning most of their targets from last year, and... No matter where Philip Rivers looks when he scans the field, he's going to find above-average talents to throw the ball to. That's exciting. Would you be surprised if Philip Rivers has a career year? Not at all. Not at all. Um, the only thing you worry a little bit, I, I don't think too much about this type of stuff, but I know the division is going to be competitive. I don't see anybody who's obviously going to be bad. I mean, you think somebody could just have a year from hell with injuries or just lose a lot of... Incidentally, that was the team, the Chargers last year, between the injuries and their ability to find a way to lose close games. It was just comical how you know, they played to a level where they should have been a borderline playoff team and they would just you know find ways to lose games. And, you know, Mike McCoy, man, just keep it together. I mean, a couple of these games on the sidelines, I'm kind of surprised that he's still there. But uh, anyway, yeah, Rivers, you know, you think back to that quarterback class with Roethlisberger and Manning and. Now, I guess Roethlisberger is probably already in the Hall of Fame. Manning may get in because they won two Super Bowls. I don't think Manning's really that great. But I, I would love to see Rod, uh, Rivers have a renaissance at the end of his career and and get in. I, I know the Chargers haven't you – know, they never been to a Super Bowl, and they had a couple of great teams that, for whatever reason, couldn't get over the hump. They lost that really strange game to the Patriots on that double fumble. But they fired Marty Schottenheimer after a 13-3 and or 14-2 and season. I mean, when's that ever going to happen again? But – I've always been a Rivers guy. I, I, I don't think their relative underachieving has ever been his fault. Sometimes the offensive line has been a joke. Sometimes the defense has been a joke. Sometimes you know, they've had some coaching. I mean, North Turner shouldn't be a head. North Turner's one of those guys. You know, maybe a decent coordinator should never really be a head coach. And I'm worried that maybe McCoy's that type of guy too. But Rivers, I, I've always been a fan. I'll, I'll admit it. And, and I know that the quarterback tier – uh, where he goes is just filled with so many interesting guys. I mean, you, you can get a quarterback you like at any price point, 
but I find myself getting a lot of rivers where he's falling in, in the MFL tens that I've done. And, and the guy, he's interchangeable with some guys. I mean, it's not like I'm locked in on him. I have to have him, but pretty much it's him or Dalton to me. Yeah. I have a lot of Dalton too. And, and you know, it's, we've seen this before with Andy Dalton where he's had a down year, but everything went wrong for him, you know, where Eifert got hurt and green got hurt. And at his peak, he was a borderline MVP candidate like 15 minutes ago. I, I mean, Andy Dalton, I don't know if it's the red hair or the fact that they never win in the playoffs. People just have excuses to not like that guy. And he's put up big seasons before. Yeah. So I have a lot of Dalton, a lot of rivers. Um, I'm not somebody who takes Rogers or Locke or, or one of those, you know, I think Brady will have a huge season, but I, I'm, I'm not going to take him. I just feel like you can do so well in the middle rounds. And then Rodgers is one of the guys who I, I'm certainly targeting. Yeah, we know Philip Rivers is good. Philip Rivers has numerous efficient seasons on his profile, looking back at his resume. But he did not have an efficient season last year. He was productive based on volume alone. 4,390 pass yards, that was fifth in the league. 102 red zone attempts, that was third in the NFL. Talking about Eric Ebron, we love the potential red zone usage. Well, Philip Rivers throws the ball a lot in the red zone, but once that completion percentage cranks up and the interceptions go down, as it will happen naturally. Mm-hmm. When we talk about regressions, this is what we talk about. We know the player is good. We know that Philip Rivers is not a 60% passer. We know this. This is true. And we know that Philip Rivers is not a guy that throws two interceptions for every three touchdowns. That's just not who he is. He's more accurate and more careful with the football than he showed last season. That means this year, what's going to happen? Well, they're going to sustain more drives. And if they sustain more drives, he had 33 touchdowns last year. If we just transpose the red zone attempts and normalize the efficiency, boom, 35 touchdowns for Phillip Rivers. It's it's such an easy formula to run. It's almost silly to see him drafted at quarterback 15, quarterback 16. Happy to press the button on Philip Rivers. And if he's not there, Andy Dalton. They're interchangeable. I do think part of that ADP just speaks to how many choices there are. I, I, it's, I, don't, I don't think it's entirely a condemnation of him. The one thing I struggle with with San Diego, and I'm curious what you think about this, I still really haven't made up my mind, is Keenan Allen more injury prone or more accident prone? Is he a guy who's gotten unlucky with these injuries or is it at a point where we have to really tax him for that? Yeah, his kidney is prone to failure when he falls perfectly horizontally. NFL players are in car accidents on every play. Right. And emergency room technicians will tell you that it's not just gruesome injuries that you see in an emergency room post-car accident. Car accidents also produce highly random injuries where you're looking at the patient thinking, how the hell did that happen to you? And the answer is car accident. Well, that's the NFL football field. A guy lacerates a kidney, we shouldn't be surprised. It's just the random events and outcomes that happen when you have violent random collisions. So I'm not worried about Keenan Allen. He's been hurt in the past, but I don't think that means he's particularly likely to get hurt in the future. We have a couple guys in the NFL we know are injury prone for some very specific reasons. We know Jordan Reed is injury prone Mm -hmm. because of the demonstrated rate of reoccurrence on concussions. So we know that to be the case. And there's a handful of running backs that have sustained lower body injuries for numerous seasons in a row. And there's been work done on those particular injuries to those particular body parts saying that does increase the probability that player X 
is going to sustain a knee sprain or a high ankle sprain this year. So there's a handful of those cases, and there's a handful of individuals like Jordan Reed and Ladarius Green where you need to be concerned, just like we were concerned two years ago about Jordan Cameron, and he's no longer in the league. We have a couple of these cases where, yes, we can say this is this player is injury prone, but the idea that you can run through an NFL roster and pick out 10 guys that are injury prone is not right. So do you think that we, as an industry, overrate this angle? <laughs> you think? It's the injury-prone narrative. <laughs> Does fantasy football saturate us with unfalsifiable claims of injury-proneness? Yes. 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 Definitively, yes. Let me ask you the key guy then, when I think of, of players with injury histories, what is your stance? What is your 2017 Matt Kelly stance on Rob Gronkowski? The injuries Rob Gronkowski has suffered are largely random. Mm -hmm. It's a knee injury. It's an elbow injury. It's a forearm injury. It's a back injury. However, when you go to a playerprofiler.com player page and you scroll down, you can see a medical history report. And there is one thing that's very interesting on the Rob Gronkowski medical history report. He has multiple back surgeries, mm -hmm. so herniated discs in the back. I'm not a doctor, but if there is an injury that Rob Gronkowski has suffered in the past that is a concern, it would be the back injuries. I'm not worried about his legs. I'm not worried about his arms. The back is absolutely a concern, but it's not a big concern. I'm not discounting Rob Gronkowski because I believe he's injury prone. I'm discounting because the tight end position as a whole is injury prone. Sure. The tight end position misses more games per season than the running back position. So I'm not drafting Rob Gronkowski in any league. I'm the guy that's drafting the fuck you tight ends. I'm drafting Jason Witten and I'm drafting mm -hmm. Antonio Gates and everyone just has to eat it. Do you think that Witten and Greg Olson, who have these long histories of playing full seasons, is is that something that speaks to some ability they have or some intelligence they have? Or do you think it's more that they've just been incredibly lucky not stepping in the wrong? They get hit the way Keenan Allen was hit. Their kidneys are going to rupture. They fall the way Rob Gronkowski fell on the sideline. They're going to break their forearm. They're lucky. Congratulations. Also, you have player like Eli Manning, for example. Eli Manning does not take big hits because as soon as a defender enters the backfield and has mm -hmm. a free run at him, he goes to the ground. That's not what Robert Griffin III did. Robert Griffin III put his body out in harm's way based on his playing style. Right, the recklessness, yeah. So, of course, his probability of being injured in any given play was higher than Eli Manning's. Same with Josh McCown. That's the problem with Josh McCown in New York. He likes to put his body in harm's way. He lacks that instinctual get-downness, right? Eli Manning is wired in a way that he instinctually gets down because he knows that whatever would have happened on that play isn't worth him getting injured in the long run for his team. So he understands that. That's been programmed into the Manning brain. Most quarterbacks don't have that pre-programming. Yeah, I also thought that, I can't prove this, but I also thought that I think of running backs like Curtis Martin, who interestingly enough had an injury wrap coming out of Pittsburgh, but then was durable for most of his NFL career. And I think of the way Tiki Barber used to run, where they seem to have a good sense, just totally anecdotal, and I mean, I have no proof of this, but these guys seem to have a good sense of knowing when a run was over, 
and when's you just okay you know there's no reason to to take on extra contact let's just get to the ground or let's get out of bounds or whatever it is and again you know and the nfl you're always one hit away from your career or your season being over so you, you have to deal with that but I think it helps with Manning and a lot of the quarterbacks who, who are pocket quarterbacks that the league is trying so hard to protect them and they're trying to legislate the hits out of the game. They don't want those guys getting hurt. They're the stars of the league, they're the players that are the most marketable, they're the faces of their franchises. I think if those players play smart, that they have a good chance of lasting the whole season. I mean, it's, it's not foolproof. You know, Brady got hurt in the first game of 2008. Um, but um, I, I think if you approach the position a certain way and you, you're pretty good about getting the, rid of the ball quickly, um, you, you give yourself a decent chance to last the whole season. Yeah, I think Witten has great instincts over the middle. He doesn't put his body in harm's way the way a Ladarius Green did. Ladarius Green made himself susceptible to these big hits in a way that Jason Witten has not. So some of it's the playing style, but that's staying healthy on the margins. You take a big hit one way or another, you're going to go down, and in a lot of times you're going to get hurt, and it's just physics. No body is indestructible, but some players get lucky. I'm interested that you said you liked Gates. Uh, just oh yeah, the, the fact that there's so many there's so many options there, and obviously Henry had the eight touchdowns last year. Uh, just what's your what's your angle on Gates? Did you see Tony Gonzalez age 37 season? Come on, man. It's Antonio Gates. What are we talking about? This is a Hall of Famer, one of the best tight ends of all time. They picked up his contract. That was the data that I needed to know. Was he signed up to play in 2017? Yes. That's all I needed to know. There's no more analysis that's needed. I compartmentalize my brain so I can analyze the guys with lots of uncertainty, and then I can remain certain about the guys with high certainty. Well, we know everything we need to know about Antonio Gates. There's nothing left to solve. Antonio Gates has been solved. They love to use him on third down. They love to use him in the red zone, and that's been the case for a long time. That's not new. So, of course, he's going to be in there in these high-leverage situations where he can score lots of fantasy points, and yet he's being drafted outside the top 15 tight ends. Makes no sense. Why? Because we're so interested in getting the new guy. We want the new guy. We want him to get reps. We want this new, interesting guy, this shiny thing, this Hunter Henry. We're fantasy-wanting Hunter Henry into existence, even though Antonio Gates is playing. Antonio Gates is under contract to play for the Chargers, and the Chargers want Antonio Gates to play, and he wants to play. As long as the Hall of Famer wants to play, and the team wants him to play, as we saw with Tony Gonzalez, he's going to play, he's going to score lots of fantasy points. This is not hard! Fantasy football doesn't have to be hard, Scott. I, I accept, I agree with a decent chunk of what you said. What worries me is Henry did score eight times last year, and Gates... It just seems like his lateral movement and his speed is so compromised now that he's just he's like a rebounder who has to box people out, but he can't run away from anybody anymore. Not not that he was ever necessarily going to do that. He's a tight end. I feel like when Gonzalez at the end of his career, I feel like Gonzalez could have kept playing if he wanted to. He just at some point decided he didn't want to play anymore, and I don't blame him for that. I mean, to be prepared for Hunter Henry was living in Eric Ebron opposite world in 2016. Target share around 11.5%, 31st in the league, but his red zone target share 25.4%, ninth in the league. So Hunter Henry was living that Anquan Bolden life last season. And I think his red zone target share to target share ratio is going to regress, just like Eric Ebron is regressing in the other direction. I just worry that last year, 
you know, when the Chargers season was obviously in the toilet, it just seemed like they wanted Gates to get the record so badly, and they forced a lot of passes at him in the red zone. Again, I love Antonio Gates, walk-in Hall of Famer, and he's on the very short list of greatest tight ends in NFL history. I'm, I'm all for Gates. If they thought he was washed, they would have found a way to get him retired before the season starts. But they want him out there, and he wants to be out there. I really can't think about it more than that. What's the over-under on touchdowns for Gates this year? I'd say like five. Five touchdowns is the bare minimum for Antonio Gates. I'm hoping for eight to ten touchdowns from Gates. I think he's the guy in the red zone. He has been and he will be. And like I said before, Phillip Rivers top five in the NFL last year in red zone attempts. If he scores eight touchdowns, I will present you with a powder blue Antonio Gates jersey and an apology. What? What? Why why is this so silly? (laughs) I don't understand. Why is this so ridiculous? Again, I, I hate I hate that we're arguing about Antonio Gates because I love the guy. What red zone weapon do they have that's going to usurp him inside the 20? It doesn't exist. Maybe Tyrell Williams. Mike Williams? Ah, eh, eh. Congratulations, Hunter Henry owners. You're going to have a fun season in 2018. Mike Williams fantasy owners, dynasty owners. Maybe he's good. Maybe he's not. But 2018 is where you should be looking. 2017, this year, this year, this is the year of the Hall of Famers that are playing football. This is the year of Antonio Gates, a player that you mentioned earlier that's not necessarily a Hall of Famer. We're going to see if he's a Hall of Famer. I'm not sure if he's a Hall of Famer. Eli Manning. Eli Manning could be washed. Is he? Well, it's being nicely masked by by Beckham. And and now they have Marshall. And you can argue how much does he have left. Um, you know, Shepard made a contribution last year. They added an interesting tight end. I think Eli Manning would be in trouble if he didn't have such great pieces around him. And and he just, I mean, you know, Beckham's such a generational receiver. By the way, props to to Evan Silva, who obviously is you know, doing great work and working as hard as anybody in the industry, who just shrugged and admitted, "Look, I, I watched Beckham all the time at LSU. I had no idea he was going to be this generational player. I, I I didn't watch Beckham anywhere near as much as Evan did, but I certainly didn't see it coming." And then when Beckham nobody didn't saw start, this coming. Nobody. When Beckham didn't start the season on time, and people were like, "Should I stash Beckham?" I'm like, "No, God, no!" You know, that's comically wrong, and just makes me look like an idiot. But I, I really respect Evan, who is doing as great as work as anybody in the industry, just owning that and, and just you know. Odell Beckham Jr. was on every waiver wire in Week Two, right. 2014. I remember. I remember. I was there. Must have been nice to be in on that. I, I wish I were. I might. I might have had him on one team, but I mean, I was. Oh, I didn't pick him up. I didn't believe in him. Oh, I didn't. I had no idea. But I remember seeing him on the waiver wire and go, "Nah." Here's the thing, though. I think Beckham is good enough to drag Manning. I don't think Manning has to be that good because Beckham is that good. That's it. That's it. This is the same thing with Kirk Cousins. It doesn't necessarily matter how intrinsically talented these players are in a vacuum because, fortunately, they don't play football in a vacuum, Scott. They don't. They play football surrounded by either talented or not talented players. In New York and in Washington, Manning and Cousins are surrounded by very, very talented players. They added Brandon Marshall to go with Odell Beckham Jr. and Sterling Shepard. And then they went and said, oh, let's also add Evan Ingram. Okay. And Shane Vereen. So, okay, yes, this is going to go well for Eli Manning. He's not good anymore. No one would argue that he's good anymore. You could absolutely make the case that he is washed in a vacuum. But 
the highly inconsistent erratic gunslinger is going to put up fantasy points when his wide receivers are Odell Beckham Jr. and Brandon Marshall. So you can feel free to draft Eli Manning when Phillip Rivers and Andy Dalton have been drafted, right? Mm-hmm. No, I agree with that. So Plus, just, as you said, not that we think about this that much at quarterback, but you know, Eli is about as much of a lock for 16 games as anybody. When he was under pressure, when he wasn't falling down on purpose... He completed 40% of his under-pressure attempts. That was number five in the league. So while his completion percentage and all the other advanced completion percentage metrics, from red zone completion percentage, deep ball completion percentage, they were outside the top 15, he has pressured completion percentage in his favor. There's one efficiency metric we can point to and go, okay, well, there was one thing that was encouraging. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out, too, that it's 40%, because a lot of times you hear people say, you know, so-and-so quarterback struggles under pressure. You know what quarterback struggles under pressure? All of them. Right, yes, <laughs> None yes. of them like being hit. None of them like being pressured. Right. No, 40% under pressure is really good. Playing football is really hard. Playing quarterbacks, exceptionally hard. Playing quarterback under pressure is damn near impossible. I, I have a feeling we might disagree on Cousins. I, he's a strange guy. I, I think Washington should re-sign him. Um, I'm surprised this hasn't gotten done, although that organization is so screwed up. I guess you should never be surprised. Big believer in Jay Gruden. I'm a big believer in Crowder. I think I think Pryor's going to fit in really nice. As long as Reed's on the field, he's a monster. I, I don't know how many yeah. games we can expect from him. Yeah. I would argue their supporting cast is right there with the Giants' supporting cast. Mm-hmm. They don't have a Beckham, but they essentially have the Beckham of the tight end position in Jordan Reed to go with one of the best slot receivers in the league, Jamison Crowder. Love Crowder. The speed-sized specimen of the NFL, Terrell Pryor, and Josh Doxson, one of the most impressive college prospects we've seen in years. Yeah, this is a great supporting cast for Kirk Cousins. This idea that Washington let their good receivers walk and didn't backfill them with talented players is absurd. Is anybody actually saying that? I hope they're not. Yes, 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 of course. Well, mainstream analysis around Kirk Cousins is really bad. It's as bad as it gets. There's no worse mainstream analysis than that that you read on Kirk Cousins. It's just dreadful. So don't do it. I'm just giving you a pro tip right now. Don't read any analysis of Kirk Cousins. It's all completely useless. I think that Washington would be insane, absolutely insane to shun Kirk Cousins if you find yourself with one of these top 15 quarterbacks. We talked about how deep the position is. There's a reason why Phillip Rivers is going off at quarterback 15 because the position is so deep, Mm -hmm. but it's also incredibly skewed where you have the top 15 quarterbacks are all relatively productive, and then the bottom 15 quarterbacks, once you get into the bottom 10, are a catastrophe. So you cannot be one of those teams. You just can't do it. You can't take the chance that you're going to be trapped in quarterback purgatory. Just ask Miami Dolphin fans. You don't want to be Miami. You can't let that happen. So you have to sign Kirk Cousins. Well, plus, here's the thing, too, is that it's not like you can trade for quarterbacks. It's not like they're they're a freely available resource. If anybody shows any amount of competency or even upside in college, I mean, you know, Trubisky played one season and he goes number two in the draft because right. teams have, you know, they need a quarterback so badly they're just going to hope that he's good. It was a very good season. I'll admit that it was a very good season. He had a very high college QBR and yards per attempt. It's very impressive, albeit with three exceptional receivers. Big deal. You did it with Bug Howard and Ryan Switzer and Mac Collins. I mean, he had three top 40 receivers at UNC. Almost, not quite as good as that LSU team, but yeah, I hear you. 
Um, but the point is that it's not like if the if the Redskins let Cousins go, oh, we'll just trade for a quarterback. We'll just find one of those readily available. Sure, yeah. They're, they're not, there's they're nobody to get. The big question is, can you get your hands on Brian Hoyer? That'll be the big question. Who's going to win the bidding war for Brian Hoyer? You don't want to be in a bidding war for Brian Hoyer. So you sign Kirk Cousins and you figure out the other pieces. Now, who was the last disgruntled player that you remember that actually held out and it hurt fantasy gamers? Because you hear about this with Le'Veon Bell, and he hasn't signed his franchise tender yet. Oh, will he hold out? We haven't had a player hold out in years. Who was the last one that actually held out into the regular season? Vincent Jackson missed a decent chunk of a season for San Diego. I think maybe he might have missed two months or something like that. I think Joey Galloway. Oh, so Vincent Jackson was the last one. That was sort of a trivia question for you. The answer was Vincent Jackson. Very good. Okay. Um, I also remember it wasn't that big of a deal because he came back and was a monster, but it was a huge thing back in the 90s when Emmett Smith missed the first two games. The Cowboys lost those games, and then Dallas just panicked and said, oh, my God, we got to have Emmett back, and then you know, Emmett was his normal self. Emmett Smith held out for two games? Yeah. Yeah, he missed two, and they, they lost both those games, too. And Dallas just said, oh, holy crap, you know, we, we're, we're done if we don't get this guy back. And uh, they brought him back. I think he played the next week. The player that I remember holding out the most and most often and actually missing games was Jimmy Smith on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Mm. Underrated player. He was really good. My general thought has been that I ignore um, holdouts because these players don't want to miss game checks, and they know that their window, I mean, even though these guys have been superheroes their whole lives, and I, and I think when, when players get hurt and they talk about coming back quickly, it's because their whole lives they've been able to do whatever they want. They've been able to leap over things and run past people that they just think that they're huge superhuman because on a certain level they are. But that said, they know that they're not going to be a football player for, you know, for as long as you could be an accountant or a doctor or whatever it is you want to be. So once those game checks are looming and, and their biological clock is ticking, which it really is ticking the moment you enter the NFL, I think usually the discretionary play is, OK, let's get in the field. Let's get paid. Let's not waste time because I don't have that much of it. Now, Andrew Luck has been held out of mini camp and training camp and he hasn't been throwing. And it's now July 18th. He had surgery to repair the labrum in his throwing arm. And he's still not throwing. So is this a problem? No one's talking about this. No one cares. Do you care? You know, I, I do care a little bit. And this is why. Um, we, we've talked a lot about how deep the quarterback position is. And the only way I'm even going to consider a designer quarterback, a vanity quarterback, a, you know, a Rodgers, a, a Brady, a Luck, is I have to be completely sold on the guy, and I have to a draft has to fall a certain way where it's well, wow, I can't really find stuff that I like at other positions, so maybe I, I just decide. This happens a lot in MFL tens, by the way, because that, that's a draft where you you might take multiple quarterbacks. Even if you take Aaron Rodgers, you're probably gonna draft somebody else later, or Brady, whatever. But the thing with Luck is what he costs and what your opportunity cost is, not, not just what his draft cost is, but what you're not getting. You're not getting that quality running back or receiver in that position or maybe a tight end. I have to be in love with that player. I have to feel like there's no flaws, there's, there's no concerns, and the Colts have done such a poor job of protecting Luck. He's played mostly full seasons. He had that one year that was an injury mess, but man, that guy gets leveled week in, week out. They did such a poor job with the line, and I guess part of it's on Luck, too. You know, setting protections, maybe holding the ball too long at times. But 
if I don't feel 100% certain of a guy like Locke, he's just not going to be on my draft board. He's obviously a great player. He's, he's been a top-five quarterback most of his leagues in the season, and I'm sure he'll probably be good again. But I, I, if I'm not 100% in, if I'm not all-in on a guy like that, I'm just not going to draft him. So this is enough smoke that he's going to probably be off my draft board. Yeah, he's being drafted in the top three quarterbacks, so why bother? Right. You can draft Aaron Rodgers. You can draft Tom Brady. You can draft Drew Brees. You can draft... Matt Ryan, Russell Wilson, Cam Newton. We have all of these quarterbacks, incidentally, ranked ahead of Andrew Luck on the Player Profiler. Player rankings. Check them out. Playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. You talked about my fantasy league drafts, looking at the wide receiver position. Who are you most bullish on versus his ADP on my fantasy league? I think Adam Thielen's the best receiver in Minnesota. Diggs, to me, just a little too small. There's just certain routes he doesn't run. I know that it's kind of hard to to sell yourself on Sam Bradford. I mean, yeah, you know, set the completion percentage record, but I mean, it wasn't like he was throwing the ball very far downfield. But that is something. I mean, a completion percentage record is something. I mean, yeah, it is. No one can take that away from him. It's true. It's true. And you know, Bradford's also a guy that. It, you think about, wouldn't it be nice if we could do his career over? He just landed in the wrong spot, and he had to play for all these different coordinators. And then he gets you know, moved to Philadelphia at the absolute wrong time. And then last year he gets traded to the Vikings you know, 10 seconds before the season starts. And then they change coordinators on him in the middle of the season. So, I mean, the fact that he you know held his head above water and sets a completion percentage record, I mean, we, we got to tip our cap for that. But, I mean, maybe I'm just letting that game that Thielen had against Green Bay, and I know their secondary was was awful. 12 catches, 202 yards, and two touchdowns. 44.6 fantasy points. He was the best wide receiver in Super Bowl week for most fantasy leagues. Just an exceptional game. He had a handful of 100-yard performances that season and was one of the most efficient, if not the most efficient, wide receiver in the NFL. When you look at playerprofiler.com's efficiency metrics, he was top five in production premium, target premium, yards per target, catch rate. He only dropped one pass all year, and he's perceived as a slot receiver. He's not. Like you said, he's bigger than Diggs only played in the slot 15.5%. So he's an outside receiver, and he's not going anywhere. There may be this perceived competition from Laquan Treadwell. That's not happening. Laquan Treadwell can't supplant Adam Thielen on merit. So Adam Thielen is going to be the starter, and you can get him in the second half of drafts. So Adam Thielen was one of, if not the most efficient wide receiver last year. His role is only going to grow, and yet you can get him in the double-digit rounds. Check, please. Thank you. I really thought everybody was going to be in on Thielen, and I know a lot of people do like him, but why is he not a universally uh, praised player? What What do you think people are missing here? It's a low volume offense. And he's not the number one wide receiver in the minds of fantasy gamers. It's Stephon Diggs. And Stephon Diggs did outsnap Adam Thielen on a rate basis. When you're looking at snap share, Adam Thielen actually accumulated more snaps than Diggs because he played more games. But you don't typically win fantasy championships by hoarding number two receivers on low volume offenses. The thing with Thielen is the Minnesota Vikings are an offense in transition that looks to improve this year. They were decimated by injuries on the offensive side of the ball. Oh, yeah. Offensive line especially. Right. It's just you can project improvement for that offense overall. Better run game, better pass game, across the board, more possessions, 
more red zone visits. Oh, and a summer of camp with your quarterback and coordinator, which they didn't have last year. Right, and you get to build rapport over the summer and in camp and in preseason with your number one quarterback. Everything is lining up for Adam Thielen. Absolutely, I agree with that. Now, what about the receiver that you're more bearish on in MFL 10s than his ADP? Alshon Jeffrey makes me concerned. And we, we talked earlier about injury proneness or you know injury um, you know, ac- accidents or whatever it is. I just, all those soft tissue injuries worry me. And I know people are saying he's on a prove it year. Wasn't last year his prove it year? <laughs> it didn't, didn't happen in Chicago. I'm not sure if Carson Wentz is good. I, I know devastating play- year for him last year mm-hmm. to be in a contract year and to post only 821 yards for Alshon Jeffrey, a wide receiver of his stature. And don't tell me that was an untenable situation because Cam Meredith played pretty damn well for the second half of the season once the Bears... It's funny how the Bears, you know, they Jordan Howard wasn't playing, Cam Meredith wasn't playing, and then halfway through the season, I actually thought they were a very entertaining, playable... I think, what, they go 3-13? and 13? I thought they were actually a fun team to watch considering how bad they were. But, um, you know, Cam Meredith was pretty damn good last year, so, I mean, it couldn't have been that impossible situation. Since 2012... Alshon Jeffrey's injury history is as follows. Knee sprain, ankle sprain, hamstring strain, hamstring strain again, calf strain, calf strain again, groin strain, hamstring strain, hamstring strain, hamstring strain again, knee strain. This is what we talked about earlier. There are a handful of players in the league that have experienced chronic lower body injuries, specifically knee and ankle ligaments and connective tissue damage. That's what Alshon Jeffrey has been suffering with the last couple of seasons. And the idea that he moves to the Eagles and that scar tissue disappears isn't right. It's going to be there. So there are a handful of players where I think it's okay if you want to call them injury prone. But he's also an incredibly efficient and dynamic playmaker when he's in the game. Mm-hmm. It would be different if he went to a team with a proven quarterback or to a team like Washington that skews pass heavy. But he went to Philadelphia. If he slips into the fifth and sixth round, then you're taking a chance on a guy changing teams, which doesn't usually go well, turning his career around. But when you go in the third round, the turnaround's baked in, and then it's it's hard for me to get interested. There's a reason why I don't own him anywhere right now. I know there's a lot of variance to ADP, and people can decide what source or you know, what context they want. And to some people, ADP is just overrated anyway. Just to give one example, his ADP in Yahoo Leaks right now is 33.4. It is essentially the same as Demarius Thomas, essentially the same as Allen Robinson, it's just a few picks later than Brandon Cooks. Man, I would never take Jeffrey over Cooks, even even though there's a lot of people in New England. So uh, I just see a bunch of guys who, even Devontae Adams, who you know you can build a case against Adams. He, he's going after Jeffrey in Yahoo leagues, and I, I would take Adams over Jeffrey without even you know, hesitation. Uh, to me, Thomas over Jeffrey is a no-brainer, too. Yeah, I'm taking Demarius Thomas there every single time. Me too. What about running back? Who are you bullish on and the consensus hasn't caught up yet. You know, I feel like I might be paying a sticker on him. Or, or maybe it's one of those things where if you keep drafting the same guy, you wonder, do I, have I talked myself into something that isn't true? <laughs> but I see Mike Gillisley, okay? I see him in Buffalo. And I know it's not, he's not a wiggle guy. He's not an outside-the-tackles guy. He seems like he just runs kind of straight line. But he's busting off all these long runs. And, you know, part of it is he, you know, the, the advantages of being a backup. You run against tired defenses sometimes. 
But like Garrett Blunt, who who is good at some things, not good at some other things. He's kind of later in his career. He scored 18 freaking touchdowns last year. Now, yeah. I'm not saying Gillisley's going to score 18, but that Patriots offense, and for all the love that we have for Brady and all the passing stuff, they run the ball an awful lot. They score an awful lot on the ground. They salt away games on the ground. And I know people are scared because there's so many bodies in their backfield that you know they brought in Burkhead. Um, you know, the James White was terrific in the Super Bowl. He could have been the Super Bowl MVP, and I do like White. Should have been the Super Bowl MVP. So you like White. You're backfield drafting the New England Patriots. Is that one of the teams where you're you're stacking up multiple running backs? I have a ton of Gillis League because I think he's basically going to be a version of Blunt. Again, I would never project anybody for 18 touchdowns, but I think he's going to get double digits. I feel very confident about that. Yeah, he won't catch the ball fine. I'm just looking for him to be their goal line and, and you know kill the clock guy. And I think White's going to, you know, White's already busted out. What do you had, you know, 50 or 60 catches last year. I, I think he right. can do that again. The guy I don't trust is Deion Lewis. My portfolio has a lot of Gillisley, has a lot of James White, even a little Burkhead sprinkled in. here. Some Burkhead. I like Burkhead, man. I like Burkhead because he can play either role. James White goes down, in steps Burkhead. Mike Gillisley goes down, insteps Burkhead. I love that the Patriots saw value in him. But by the way, we were talking earlier about Terrell Pryor. It's kind of scary to think he was in New England for like 15 seconds, and I guess they couldn't find a spot for him. Sometimes it just doesn't work out at the time. The player I don't want to touch is Deion Lewis. I just don't think he can be healthy. He's been hurt too many times. And also, I, I think the fact of them bringing in Burkhead, them bringing in Gillisley, and they have different skill sets. And maybe James White just might be, you know, he, he might be able to be if Lewis can't be healthy, maybe White's just a better player anyway. And again, as you said, probably should have been the Super Bowl MVP. 14 catches, just a monster. And the Patriots love to throw to their backs. I, you know, it's it's funny you see Christian McCaffrey go to Carolina. Can Cam Newton become comfortable making the throws you have to make when Christian McCaffrey's a guy? I, I wanted McCaffrey to go anywhere else but Carolina. Um, you know, Maybe they'll make it work. But um, the Patriots a team that self scouts that's that seems to understand you know every team drafts guys that bust or adds guys who don't work out but i think the patriots understand what they're trying to do on offense and defense and what players fit what we're trying to do and so when they identify a gillsley and pay him when they identify a burkhead and pay him or make a commitment to james white that means something to me i i have so much faith in their ability to, to self-scout their own players and to add players to their system so i see a big i know people get scared it used to be we wanted bell cow running backs and now there's just not that many of them and now it's like okay a team only has two running backs we feel good i mean that's not really that big of a deal but then you see the three you see the four you get nervous to me i'm not worried about lewis i'm not taking him i, I just don't see the case for him i'm just i'm concerned that too many things have to go right I think Gillisley has an established role. I think White has an established role. I think Burkhead will get sprinkled in. And again, just one hit away from somebody else, he has a bigger role. There's a big rushing pie in New England, and uh, I want a piece of it. Yeah, Burkhead's going to take over that Bolden role, essentially. Bolden plus. So he can be fantasy relevant, especially in a best ball format where you don't have to worry about starting him. It's going to be a nightmare at first knowing who to start, who to sit in that backfield. That's why I prefer Burkhead in a best ball format. But either way, you want Burkhead on your team because the upside for him in the event of an injury is incredible. You also remember, too, last year with Blunt, um, there's been a lot of work and, and people have put together the pieces that when teams are favored, when they're at home— you know, heavy point spread, you can 
I think we got pretty good at projecting what the Blunt games were. Very good, right. Right, they're going to win 12, 13 games. They're going to be favored. They may be favored every game of the season. If, if not, it's only going to be a couple of other games that they're not. So I think the fear of, you know, oh my God, when are we going to know, you know when the Gillisley game is? Or when are we going to know, you know who the back is? I think that might be a little bit overplayed because the Patriots offense is going to be so good. Right. Again, with Gillisley, if he is used like Bunt is, I think we got to the point where we could point to the Bunt games pretty accurately. And I, I'm thinking that we might be that way with Gillisley this year, too. Now, looking at your highest owned players in your MFL leagues, after James White, I'm noticing Jacquez Rogers. Little Jack Pop action in there. Jaquiz Rogers is the starter for the first three games of the season. And anything can happen. Anything can happen. What if he plays well? Tell me this. Are we positive that they're going to do that? I mean, I, have you, I haven't followed that as closely as some other people might. I'm hoping that's the case. I think he can play. Man, man he was really good last year when he got a chance. They had the choice last year, and they chose to start Jaquiz Rogers. That's what's going to happen. He doesn't look the part. He's small. He's not athletic. I mean, his Spark X score is in the 10th percentile. But when he was on the field last year, he was the only running back that was running efficiently. Doug Martin absolutely face-planted. And then Charles Sims got an opportunity, face-planted. Mm-hmm. And then in comes Jaquiz Rogers, and you're thinking, okay, this guy's just a placeholder. I know he's being viewed as a free square in DFS, but give me a break. Come on. Come on. Really? Come on. Come on. What does he do? 18 fantasy points, 17 fantasy points, 14 fantasy points. And he comes back in week 16 as a starter again, 16 fantasy points. So all he does is produce fantasy points when called upon. Well, in the first three games of the season, you want to win those games, right? Yes, yes. You Don't you want to win the first three matchups? In a fantasy season? Well, that means drafting Jaquiz Rogers at the end of drafts. You have a starter for an ascending offense that can help you win in the first three weeks. And then we don't know what's going to happen. Doug Martin's been suspended. The history, the track record for running backs that are suspended is grim after he didn't play well last year. So I don't understand the differential between the Doug Martin ADP and the Jaquiz Rogers ADP. I would have thought at the beginning of the season, before these drafts got underway, that those two ADPs would be similar. And yet there's a chasm. It doesn't make sense to me. I haven't even considered Doug Martin. He might as well not be on my board. Who would? Who would consider Doug Martin? No one would. Who are these mystery bidders on Doug Martin? Everyone's bidding on players. Some are on the phone. Some are in person. And then we see that just someone on the phone keeps dialing in some mystery bidder and buying all the Doug Martin. But no one can figure out who the hell that person is. Yeah, I love like when Doug Martin comes up, if I'm in a Yahoo auction online where you, know, you need to buy that bathroom break, you know, I'll just go Doug Martin a buck and then run out of the room and <laughs> go do what I got to do or pay for the pizza or whatever I'm doing. Um, but you, you meant you really hit on a key point. One of my favorite strategies, and I don't think this gets talked about enough. I think we don't do enough fantasy football analysis and planning with a, with a um, microscope. Uh, or a, um, a magnifying glass, and we do too much of it with a telescope. But what I mean by that is let's play the position in front of us. Let's dominate September. Let's win week one. Let's win week two. Let's – Jaquiz Rogers is going to have the baton, okay? And that you, know, you see that a lot in fantasy baseball. The, the guy who got the last save chance, who converted, they're going to go back to him. The guy whose teams – coaches want to – if something works – 
if they get to the goal line, they give the guy the ball and he scores, they'll go back to that. It's it's easy to do that because it's you know, last year we talked about Bolden getting all those touchdowns. Once that worked a couple of times, they felt good with it. They kept rolling with that. Another running back I've talked about drafting a lot in the later rounds, Jonathan Stewart. Mm-hmm. Who do the Panthers play in week one? The 49ers. Right. Wide receiver you like, Adam Thielen. Who do the Vikings play in week one? New Orleans Saints. Oh, yeah, wheels up for Adam Thielen and Jonathan Stewart. I think this is the year of the aging running back. Beyond Jonathan Stewart, we have Danny Woodhead, we have Adrian Peterson, we have Frank Gore, Matt Forte, Darren Sproles. Do you agree this is the year of the aging running back? And if so, which of those running backs that I listed is the most exciting to you? Well, I think a big part of this is that we're just not asking running backs to carry the load that they used to. It used to be guys came in the league and we beat the living crap out of them and then they hobbled out of the league because they just couldn't. They couldn't handle the attrition. At some point, just your body catches up to you. You pay a tax for that. But now, with teams routinely using two or three backs, and some teams might use more than that, the way Philadelphia uses Sproles, obviously he's not built to handle 15 or 20 touches. But, man, what a dynamic player. This is another guy that I don't think he'll make the Hall of Fame, but if he did, I'd be fine with it because I just enjoyed watching him so much. Darren Sproles. Constantly terrified when he would touch the ball. Darren Sproles. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. The, the tough guy I can't read is Peterson. Uh, he looked so bad last year, albeit on a limited amount of snaps on a team that couldn't block anybody. Um, so I don't know how he could have succeeded anyway. Uh, I, I'm hearing positive things from, from New Orleans, whatever that's worth. I mean, I, I, you know, I, almost anything that's ever said positive about a player, I just, I just treat with suspicion. It's when they hammer, when the coaches hammer the player, I'm always more likely to believe that because I think those things tend to be more true because of different things, just kind of psychologically. I, with all the sunshine I hear in the summer, I, I try to be careful of. But for some reason, the Saints don't like Mark Ingram. I, I, this is another case where I like the player more than the team does. I've always thought Mark Ingram is an underrated player and can do a lot of different things. And it seems like the Saints can't wait to play different people other than Mark Ingram. And now they've they brought in Peterson. They drafted Kamara. So that they have a lot of options. And Sean Payton likes to use a lot of running backs, and he likes a lot of packages. And you know, it's kind of part of what he is. But I don't really know what to do with Peterson. Gore is a strange player. This is a guy, his career's upside down. I mean, he was hurt in Miami. He had but he's one or two ACLs, right? I mean, he's, he had injury problems early in San Francisco, and now he's a model of perfect health, and he hasn't missed a game in such a long time. But he's 34. Uh, they, they brought in such a limited amount of, of stuff behind him. I thought for sure they would address the running back position significantly in the offseason. They've chosen not to do it. So I, I guess just the workload for Gore is going to be good. But he's, man, 34 makes me nervous. I mean, 30 to me, 30 is like 28 and 31 is like 20. I, mean, I think we have to the, – the ages, the health, the, the way the players condition themselves, that's all better. And the workloads are going down. So I'm more likely to be okay with a running back at these age pockets. It's just with Gore at 34. If he's healthy this year, Frank Gore is going to eclipse 3,500 touches in his career. 3,500 touches. Is he a Hall of Famer? I don't know, but compare that to Darren Sproles. Yeah. Darren Sproles is a fraction of the touches on his odometer that Frank Gore does. So I like Darren Sproles because you look at the efficiency metrics, Frank Gore's juke rate. Evaded tackles per touch last season was under 20%. It was a career low for him. Even though he bounced back with the yards per carry, the advanced efficiency metrics showed that he was less elusive last year, but not Darren Sproles. Darren Sproles, juke rate, still up at that 24% level. Breakaway run rate, 5.3%. 
22nd in the league. So he was breaking runs. He was juking out defenders. And it was reflected in his yards per touch, 5.9. And he went out there and caught 52 passes, ninth among running backs last season. So he's playing the satellite back role at a higher level. You expect the Eagles offense to take a step forward. He's going to be the Shane Vereen to LeGarrette Mm -hmm. Blunt in the Philadelphia Eagles passing game. Why not? Again, a guy that's going at the end of drafts in PPR leagues, he's a valuable asset. He was a top 30 PPR Mm -hmm. running back last season. That means he was very much a flex play and yet is being discarded. Yeah, I can see him doing that again. And again, you look at the skill sets of the, the people in front of him. Blunt's not going to catch the ball. I mean, Smallwood was hardly used as a receiver. I'm not even Smallwood. sure. But... <laughs> I forgot about Wendell Smallwood. Well, well why, why wouldn't you? I forgot about him. He, I erased him from my memory banks. You bringing up that name was just like a... Well, did you miss it? It was like catches? shining a laser into my brain. I was like, whoa, that guy. You haven't watched his six catches on, on coaching tape on, on you know, over and over again, but it sounds like Ryan Matthews would probably get cut at some point. Loving Sproles this year. Loving Sproles. Oh, yeah. Excellent target uh, for a almost like you can name your price on him, too. You talked about how the New Orleans Saints strangely have fallen out of love with Mark Ingram, and it's been a protracted divorce. Two years ago, they were going out of their way to agitate him, relegating Mark Ingram in favor of Tim Hightower in high leverage situations. Right. And I don't think that's going to change. In Houston, it's the opposite. They've brought in a player nobody likes except them, Lamar Miller. And now Dante Foreman's been arrested. So are we forced to now bump up Lamar Miller and maybe consider drafting him in certain rounds? Oh, God. I, you know, I haven't strongly considered him. I don't have any shares. haven't strongly considered him. I, my feeling is if, if you don't like the offense, how much can you really like the running back? I, I... Thank you. Thank you, right? I'm not a believer in Deshaun Watson. So because I'm not a believer in Deshaun Watson, it's very difficult for me to build a case for Lamar Miller. And I didn't even like Lamar Miller in the first place. He's a fake right. bell cow. And, you know, I, he's still going in the drafts that I've been in. He's still going in the third round. Miller is um, occasionally dipping maybe into the late second round. So late because second the room, round? Because the room is still paying a price for him, oh I'm never God. forced into that tough Stop choice. It. I, it, it. it's, you know, if he got to a really – because there's a price for everybody. I mean, I – you know, if he got to the fourth or fifth round, I might say, all right, fine. Maybe we have to consider him in the fifth round, but as long as he's going in the late second, fuck that! <laughs> is there is there anything better, by the way, when you're drafting, it's the early rounds, and people take players you don't want? It's just so great. You know, because it's like the pick doesn't even exist. If you're incredibly anxious about a player that you believe could fall to you, and then the opponent directly in front of you picks the guy that you would never consider even around later. That's the best. You would also get sometimes, and, and, and look, different different strategies can work, and any, any strategy works if you pick the right players, but sometimes you'll end up in a draft where the people who are on either side of you, for whatever reason, just have a different worldview than you do. And it's just, sometimes you'll get in a draft and somebody will make 15 picks and they're never the guy you want. And then other times there'll be people you just, for whatever reason, you, you share a lot of the same opinions and or you like a lot of the same players. And, and who knows, maybe they're even just trying to have some fun with you. They know I'm a Doug Baldwin fan, so they want to take him before me just so they can kind of 
you yes. know, snicker at me or whatever. Doug but Baldwin fans unite. That's right. By the way, I just wanted, I was going to make sure we talked about Doug Baldwin. Oh, no. we're going to talk about Doug Baldwin. Let's say that Lamar Miller slips into the fourth round. That's okay. I'm still yeah. not drafting him because I'm drafting Carlos Hyde or Spencer Ware in that spot. But what the hell did Spencer Ware and Carlos Hyde do to upset fantasy footballers? Ware didn't score enough touchdowns. That was the big thing with him. I think... Don't we know that touchdowns regress year to year? Hasn't that been solved? I think the Hunt drafting, I think the way Kansas City prioritized Hunt also made people nervous. Oh, God. Kareem Hunt. Get out of here. (laughs) The small school mid-round running back. Yeah, let's get excited about this guy. It's so arbitrary the way they get excited about Kareem Hunt, but there's no enthusiasm around Marlon Mack. Get out of here. The same thing with Joe Williams and Carlos Hyde. Oh, pounding the table for Joe Williams. Carlos Hyde has been one of the best tackle breakers in the NFL, and he's been trapped in an unfortunate situation on a low-volume offense with an inefficient run-blocking offensive line, and this year there's hope. They're improving the passing game. They're surrounding Brian Hoyer with weapons like Pierre Garçon. So it gives Carlos Hyde not only more red zone visits, but more room to operate generally. It's like Eric Ebron. The positive indicators have been there for years with Eric Ebron, but it hasn't clicked together for him to precipitate a breakout season. Well, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing all the forces align to precipitate a Carlos Hyde breakout season, a true breakout season where he scores more than 15 fantasy points per game, is active in all phases, a true bell cow, an authentic bell cow that Lamar Miller could never be. It's imminent, and yet there's just cognitive dissonance. No one wants to believe it. Weird. Weird. Well, you would also think just by, I don't want to make Brian Hoyer a savior, but he's better than the quarterbacks they had last year. So you would just think that they'd be able to sustain offense more. You know, just drives can go longer. You're yeah. more likely to end up in scoring position, which is obviously going to help hide. And, you know, Joe Williams, like, obviously there's this talent there, and, and they seemingly like them. They wanted to get him and all that. But remember, we're talking about a 23-year-old who already has phrases like credit card theft, temporary retirement on his resume. Plus, he, you know, he had a ball security problem in college. And, I know sometimes they can get that out of a player. I mean, Tiki Barber used to fumble. So credit card theft, fumbles, and early retirement. Those are the key words surrounding Joe Williams. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd just like to see him. And look, I, I, I know this is anecdotal. And I don't know every player personally. And you know, God knows I did some dumb things when I was 21 or 22. I, I may do some dumb things today. But I, I'd like to see the guy. And we talked about Baldwin earlier. You know, I, I love the idea that Doug Baldwin – from everything I've heard, I know some people who are close to the Seattle team. This guy wants to maximize his ability. He wants to be as great as he can be, just like Steve Smith was that type of player. And when I look at a player like Devontae Parker, you know, not, not his diet's been bad for a while. Maybe he's changing it now. I mean, I've, I've seen, I've heard stories of people interviewing him. He just didn't seem particularly engaged in the interview. Just you know, kind of you know, mind wandering. And- Diets and interview skills? Come on, Scott. You're an analytics guy. What are you doing? <laughs> You're killing me right now. You're killing me. You're now on a Devontae Parker tangent. I'm going to steer this show back to where we need to go, back to San Francisco, because we talked about the receivers. Garcon, certainly an upgrade. Are any wide receivers on that San Francisco roster interesting other than Garcon? Maybe it's because I was burned last year because I I wanted to talk myself into a couple of guys on this team, but um, Garcon's the only player I've considered. Who knows? Maybe you'll sell me on somebody. Aldrick Robinson? No, no. (sighs) No, 
No. Jeremy Curley? Jeremy Curley? I wish his name was Curley C-U-R-L-E-Y. It's kind of a bummer that it's K-E-R-L-E-Y. I'm missing why that would be significant. Why would that be significant? Just like Curly, you know, like the Three Stooges, you know? Curly, yay! And imagine if he had curly hair. It'd be cool. But it's just K-E-R-L-E-Y. That's not nearly as interesting. All right, so you don't like the wide receivers. That's fine. Yeah, I guess I bought I bought all the – I'm drinking all the Garcon Kool-Aid, right? I mean, right. You know, him. everybody knows this. I mean, Shanahan had these big numbers in Washington, and I think Hoyer is at least competent. And it's, it's funny how Houston couldn't wait to get rid of Hoyer. Now he would look like an upgrade for them, but – as the quarterbacks turn in Houston. So you appreciate Garcon. I feel like many fantasy gamers are rediscovering a lost love with Pierre Garcon. A lot of people are right back to where they were four years ago, believing that Pierre Garcon has high-end WR2 fantasy output in his range of outcomes. It's exciting. So who's the player that you hated, say, two years ago, but today you appreciate him in a way that you could never have imagined? a great question you know i i thought the marvin jones season that one season he had in cincinnati was just a total fluke season and even though he i don't think he has a big touchdown upside i i think he has a solidified role in detroit i think get him i'm seeing him on mfl rosters where he's like somebody's fifth or sixth or seventh receiver i I will i'll take that all day i mean especially when you put him in a format where you don't have to project him ahead of time I, i i wasn't sure that um, Detroit made a good move when they signed him, and, and actually I've changed my mind to that. And also Willie Sneed, I, I think a lot of people like Willie Sneed, but when he first popped in New Orleans a couple of years ago, I thought, okay, you know, nice fourth receiver, nice, nice uh, occasional player they'll 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 make a a big hit with, but nothing special. I'm excited now that Cooks is gone, and I you know Cooks is a better player than Sneed. I think Sneed could go 1,100 yards and, and seven to eight touchdowns. I think that's in his reasonable range of outcomes. Yeah, baby! Yes, Scott! Willie Sneed! Willie Sneed is like Jarvis Landry if Jarvis Landry were on an up-tempo, high-volume offense. But Jarvis Landry's trapped in Miami, and yet Jarvis Landry's being drafted before Willie Sneed. These are some of the facts about fantasy football that mystify me. Mm-hmm. How is Willie Sneed not being drafted in the top 20 wide receivers while Jarvis Landry's being drafted in the second round? Like These are just things that I don't understand, Scott. Yeah, I tweeted that I thought Sneed was like the easiest fifth round pick you could make. And if maybe you could take auto him in the pick. fourth. Just, it's, it's, it's an auto pick in the fifth round. And people, people gave me crap about that. I get a lot of pushback on that. What do we like about Jarvis Landry? Great route runner, excellent hands, and yards after the catch ability. Well, that's everything that Willie Sneed brings to the table. Last year, 69.2% catch rate, top 20 in the league. 373 yards after the catch, top 20 in the league. And he has the built-in rapport that no other wide receiver in that passing game has with Drew Brees. So you could absolutely see Willie Sneed pushing 125, 130 targets and putting up 1,100 yards, just as you said. It's an auto pick in the fifth round. Meanwhile, you have players like DeAndre Hopkins with similar athletic profiles, but they're on Houston. It's just not exciting to draft a player tethered to either Tom Savage or a rookie quarterback when Willie Sneed is on fucking New Orleans Saints. Right. And when you look at DeAndre Hopkins' statistical profile, you look at his resume back through time, he has one good season. Is DeAndre Hopkins a one-year wonder? 
I think he could be. And, and just just to finish Snead for a second, I mean, whatever he gets, 115, 120, 125 targets, they're Drew Brees targets. These things are plated in gold. It's like you know, people used to worry about Doug Baldwin, how many targets he got. They're Russell Wilson targets. They're more efficient. So he's not going to have all those garbage targets, targets that aren't completed. And you, you get some of that you know, artificial volume sometimes when a team isn't efficient. 700 pass attempts in New Orleans. It's very reasonable to expect Willie Sneed yeah. to bump his target share up from 17% to something over 20, and all of a sudden, his targets are closer to 150 than they are 100. It's just math. It's very simple that right, you would right. target a player like wide receiver Willie Sneed at his average draft position over a DeAndre Hopkins and a Jarvis Landry at their draft position. My friend Mike Salfino, who uh, works for the Wall Street Journal and Yahoo, and you should you should definitely follow him and read his stuff. He's also very ornery. He's a big believer in just not getting invested in bad quarterbacks. Now there comes a point where you know it's later. You would agree he's ornery. I've, nobody's disagreed and fought with Mike more than I have, but well, he's a good friend, and um, I love ornery. Trust me, I love that about Salfino, but he is ornery. He's from New Jersey, you know? I mean, hey, you know, you, you grew up in the Bada Bing and uh, some of that rubs off on you. But he doesn't, he, he's a big believer in not spending your draft capital on an offense or a quarterback you don't trust. And I don't see how we could feel that way. I, I don't think DeAndre Hopkins is special enough to, oh, there's like a line, I'm going to totally date myself. There's a line in terms of endearment where Shirley McLean says to her daughter, Oh no, terms of endearment. A first on any fantasy football oh, podcast. Oh, the poor young people in this audience. The poor young people. Anyway, Shirley McLean says to her daughter, you're not special enough to overcome a bad marriage. She's telling her not to get married the night before her wedding day. I don't think DeAndre Hopkins is special enough to overcome a bad marriage, meaning if De- if, if Deshaun Watson isn't the real deal, if Houston, bad situation on a quarterback, I think it's a team that can win on defense and controlling the ball. I, I don't think Hopkins is special enough to overcome that. I, I, I don't think he's physical enough. I don't, I don't think he wins enough contested balls. And I, I think sometimes when he doesn't get, when things don't go his way, I think he's a little bit of a front runner. I think he kind of fades in and out of games when, when he's, when things don't, he doesn't get off to a good start or, you know, uh, whatever it is. I, I am soured on Hopkins and I have not considered him in any draft this year. Well, his contested catch percentage last year, 70%, 26 in the NFL. So he is winning the contested catches, but, but I do agree with you that he has some strange concentration lapses where he's just not engaged because he knows the team is horrible. Yeah. And you don't blame him. It's hard to blame a guy like DeAndre Hopkins who's never played with a competent quarterback other than Brian Hoyer. I mean, what he knows of competent quarterback play is Brian Hoyer. Right. When DeAndre Hopkins is daydreaming about great quarterback play, he's thinking about Brian Hoyer. That's how low the bar is for poor DeAndre Hopkins. So I don't blame him at all that he's lackadaisical on the football field when the team has no chance of competing for a Super Bowl. Eventually, that is going to be a demoralizing force that affects your play. I love it when a player sometimes gets bailed out of situations like that, where you think of Randy Moss was a monster in Minnesota, but it's not like he played with the greatest quarterback. You know, Culpepper was okay. And then he goes to Oakland, and the situation could not be any more toxic, could not be just any more hopeless, and Moss checked out a little bit. And then he goes to New England. He's playing with a Hall of Fame walking guy. Now, Brady wasn't quote-unquote Brady yet. I mean, he was just kind of a, a really good quarterback at that point. 
but then you know moss goes to a, a place where it's like wow you know if i'm actually open downfield that the ball will be catchable and then they'll throw it to me and you know they'll make me a priority and you know we actually might win games instead of hoping to go seven to nine i mean it's just the idea you know somebody who's again you know out of a failed relationship into a good relationship or you know they work at a crummy place and they get hired at a great place or you live in a crummy apartment you move to a new apartment whatever it is um i'd love to see deandre hopkins in an offense where i feel like he had a chance and he would be fully engaged and his talents would be appreciated and capitalized i just don't feel houston is that also i'm not really sure are we sure on bill o'brien are we in on this guy how do you feel about him I think he's awful. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's one of the most overrated coaches in the league. I really do. I don't think he's being rated very highly anymore. I think he was at the beginning. The chin. The chin attracts people. You feel like you can fall into that chin. Very strong chin. But the decisions he's making, both the roster decisions and the play calling decisions on the field, have both been below average for an NFL coach. Think about all the touches that he siphoned to Alfred Blue over the years. That's all you need to know. The only statistic that you need to illuminate the mediocrity of Bill O'Brien, Alfred Blue's touch totals. That's it. So you've talked about relationships here, and it's great when you see a player move from a toxic situation to the New England Patriots if you're Randy Moss, <laughs> Tom Brady. Oh, talk about a player you could just lose yourself in, just looking at his face, just so dreamy. Those eyes, that chin too. Wow, what a chin. Woo, handsome devil. But sometimes players do go in the opposite direction where they're in a budding romance, and then they go out drinking, and they get kicked off the team. The next thing they know, they're on the New York Jets. <laughs> That happened to Austin Severian Jenkins. He had a budding romance with Jameis Winston, young ascending quarterback, the young, hyper-talented tight end. You could see that pair connecting for touchdowns for many years, and then in a night, it was over. And Austin Severian Jenkins woke up in the morning on the Jets. Now, I still like Austin Safarian Jenkins for a lot of the same reasons we like Eric Ebron. Look at mm-hmm. the career arc. Look at the history of productivity for tight ends. You look at the age-adjusted productivity curve. Sure. But he's also moved from a team pointed up to a team pointed down. So will his talents be negated by the demoralizing effect of being a New York Jet? I mean, all you're looking for where Safarian Jenkins is going to fall, where he's going to be one of the last picks of a draft, you're just looking for plausible upside. So what what do you have here? We have a second-round pick who's just 24. I think he turns 25 in the first month of the season. So still young. He's changed teams. He's, he's made some personal changes. All I want, can I build, all I'm trying to do is build a case. Is he athletic? Yes. Does he have a pedigree? Yes. Is there a reason to believe that maybe he's taking football more seriously? I mean, at least, is you know, Rich Samini had a positive note. Uh, the ESPN beat writers covered the Jets for, I don't know, 20 years or something. I mean, he knows that team as well as anybody he said something. So when I hear something from Samini, I don't think it's more of, you know, sometimes you see writers, it's just puff pieces. They're trying to file and get done for the day. Uh, Samini's weight on the Jets means something to me. What do you say about ASJ? Uh, just that the Jets are impressed. Um, I think I saw the, wrote on, the note on Roto World that the Jets thought that uh, Safarian Jenkins had been pretty good this spring. And they think they, they brought in a guy who might you know, maybe make an impact. All I want with these late picks is plausible upside. Is there plausible upside with with Safarian Jenkins? Yes. Is he still relatively young in his career? Yes. Was he drafted highly? Yes. Have we seen him look pretty good on a football field, albeit at brief stretches? Yes. 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 And no tight end 
in the league has more upside than Austin Severian Jenkins because, like you said, he's about to turn 25, 29.5%, 86th percentile college dominator, and an 1120 agility score at 6'6, 262. An 1120 agility score at 6'6, 262. This guy was both a mega producer in college and one of the league's true athletic specimens, size, speed, freak with a capital F at the tight end position. That's what you want. Go ahead and lock in a trustworthy tight end earlier from Delaney Walker to Jason Witten. And then at the end of the draft, if you're going to draft a backup tight end, make it Austin Safarian Jenkins. Remember, we last saw him in Tampa Bay, seven games, 338 yards and four touchdowns. If you can prorate that to a full season, and, and again, this guy came into the league at such a, such a young age. I mean, I know I, I was you know, bashing on Williams earlier, but you know, sometimes these guys need some time to, to learn what it takes to be a professional. To you know, Safarian Jenkins knows that he, he can't screw up too much longer. He's not going to be in the league. So I, we've seen, I, I remember a couple of those touchdowns he had in 2015 were late in games, you know, kind of garbage time, but whatever. We've seen him flash. We've seen what he can do down the seam of a football field. And, and the Jets, it's open auditions there. I mean, we, they got rid of Decker. Um, they're they're going to be playing for, for future seasons. They're going to try to give people a chance to expand in roles. And I'm sure they're going to give Safarian Jenkins every chance to be a, probably a starter, probably a featured guy and see is he somebody who can be part of uh, the future of our football team? And again, a second-round pick. We're talking about a guy who was thought to be a difference maker when he came into the league. He can be. You like Austin Severian Jenkins for a lot of the same reasons you like Quincy Nunwa because there's a lot of vacated targets there, mm-hmm. and there will be significant garbage time. Someone has to catch the passes. Someone has to score the touchdowns. Why not Nunwa? Why not Austin Safarian Jenkins? You like Nunwa? I oh, sure do. I mean, I mean, last year the thing about Nunwa is he'll probably show up on breakout lists, but he had 857 yards last year on a team that had you know, still had Decker. Yeah, wake up, everybody. Still had Marshall. Everybody's gone now. You know, Robbie Anderson, who knows if they can count on him. He's had some off-the-field problems. Anunwa is going to get a bunch of targets. Now, they may be ugly targets. They may be, you know, Hackenberg targets. They may be Bryce Petty targets. You, know, you talked about McCown, you know, his propensity to, to, to play kind of with his hair on fire, and sometimes that means he can't play for a full season. By the way, what was more random than that one year where McCown was great for like seven games in Chicago? It's just, right. We're going to tell our grandchildren that you know, Josh McCown was really good for like two months once. You got to believe me. You got to believe me. You're never going to believe it, but you got to believe me. What? What? The NFL? The NFL still exists? Quincy Nunwa had 300 more receiving yards than Tyreek Hill last year, and yet Tyreek Hill has been anointed the next thing for fantasy football wide receivers. And Nunwa's ADP barely budged after they cut Eric Decker. It's flabbergasting. It doesn't make sense, does it? And, you know, we talked about not wanting to get tied to bad quarterbacks. That's an early round strategy. When it gets to the later rounds, we're again, we're just looking for plausible upside, and you have to accept that you know, if you draft Cam Meredith, you're drafting the Chicago quarterbacks. If you draft a Nunoir or Safarian Jenkins, you're drafting the Jets quarterbacks, and you're going to probably get a lot of volume. It's going to be, at times, ugly volume. It may not be the most watchable thing. But bottom line, it sure seems like the guy they're going to throw the most downfield passes to is to Anunwa. He had 857 yards last year when there was competition for the ball. Brandon Marshall's gone. Eric Decker's gone. 
I, I can't see, I, again, I don't know if Anderson, you know, how seriously he wants to be a football player or what the Jets, what they envision from him based on what he's dealing with. It's kind of hard to speculate on that at this point in the season. But I feel very confident not only will Anunwa be their, their best receiver, but I, I think there's an excellent chance he expands on what he put up last year. And where he's being drafted, <laughs> if he even did what he did last year, you'd probably make your money. <laughs> it's befuddling. I don't understand Quincy Nunwa's ADP at all. But let's look to the end of drafts. That one receiver who's been in the league for many years, still hanging around rosters, a lot of times going undrafted, but you think still has a chance. You're a truther for this guy. Who is it? Well, I'm going to give you an answer, but it's it's going to be a young player. Um, I I can envision Malcolm Mitchell making impact for the Patriots. Ooh. That sound crazy? Ooh, no, 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 no. I like Malcolm Mitchell. He's just been pushed down the target totem pole so far, it's hard to get excited. I'm worried Edelman doesn't play a full season. I, I don't know. I, Gronkowski is somebody who, I mean, obviously they have Dwayne Allen too, but I don't, it looks like the Patriots have receivers coming out of their ears, but a lot of times that stuff tends to work itself out. All I want, all I want from rookie receivers, you talked about what an outlier season 2014 was. All I'm looking for from younger receivers, and this is both wide receivers and tight ends, is I want to see some athleticism. I want to see a couple of splash plays. I want to get the sense that they've learned something and they've acclimated themselves to the league. This is all the reasons why I like Austin Hooper, the tight end in Atlanta. Uh, again, nod to Evan Silva, who was talking about Hooper, I think, today on Twitter. All I want to see is that they got something out of their rookie year. They acclimated themselves freshman year. You know, they they found out where all the classes were. You know, they they met roommates. They got a girlfriend. They went to some parties. Whatever. Right, right, right. Malcolm Mitchell took that first step and got comfortable in the NFL and got the trust of Josh McDaniels. Got the trust of Brady. He was on the field in the Super Bowl. Made a couple of plays. He's not somebody you probably have to draft. And I, I know Hogan's still there and all that. And, you know, it seems again, it seems they have guys coming out of their ears. But the moment anybody gets hurt in New England, I'm sure people are going to probably point to Hogan. I think Malcolm Mitchell's going to be the guy who steps up. I, he may not have to be drafted in leagues, but and I know it's, it's the, the cheesiest thing to say is like put him on your watch list. I'm not even telling you to draft the guy. I mean, it's the cheapest advice you can tell anybody. Pay attention to this player. But I think Malcolm Mitchell is going to do something fantasy worthy this year. And maybe in deeper leagues, that may mean you can actually draft him. No, the watch list is a real thing. Injuries happen every week in the NFL. Severe injuries. And we devote a lot of time and effort into examining the best possible waiver wire pickups every year. Isn't that something we devote a lot of time to every year, Scott? Yeah, it is. Oh, but by the way, let me give you one other name of a guy who um, kind of buried on a depth chart right now, but I, I just can't ignore what he did. Why did the Seahawks, why do they waste all these snaps on, on Jermaine Curse? Now, I, I realize, you know, I love Baldwin, and I realize Tyler Lockett has a skill set that's exciting. I know who you're going to say. I know who you're going to say. I know who you're going to say. Show's over, Scott. Show's over. No one's allowed to pick two truthers, and you're certainly not allowed to pick this guy because this is my truther. It's Paul Richardson! It's Paul!
didn't know I hit on the right answer. I, I feel like I'm on a game show and like the lights are flashing now. I'm in the bonus round or something. Yeah. What? Show's over, Scott. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. It's on for Eric Ebron. Well, I hope they double. He scored one last year, right? I mean, <laughs> but, um... Well, I was thinking of his red zone target share doubling from 9% to 18%. A player you could just lose yourself in, just looking at his face, just so dreamy. Just like curly, you know, like Three Stooges, you know? Curly, yay! And imagine if he had curly hair. It'd be cool. It's a great question. When I look at the MFLs, and we're, which is the only draft really I'm doing right now, my quote-unquote main draft won't be till August, but I feel like the ADP on, on so many of these rookies are so inflated. I think it may be because... I've heard this. I'm not sure if it's true or not, but I think uh, people who are in dynasty leagues, somehow that ADP gets filtered into a, a regular MFL. Anyway, the point is I look at where so many of these guys are slotted. I'm just like, I've never taken him in that round. Lamar Miller and maybe consider drafting him in certain rounds. Oh God. Maybe we have to consider him in the fifth round, but as long as he's going in the late second, fuck that. That Skype, if you rearrange the letters to Skype, it comes out to pesky, which is kind of what Skype is. So I was very nervous. It was a huge burden to get the Miles Garrett one out. I had memorized that in my hotel room because I was like, I have to just have it memorized. I can't risk just being up there trying to like access file drawers in my brain. No fucking way. Yeah, I, I remember like when I played sports, I, I would be at the start of a hockey game and they're, they're just about to drop the puck and I'm like, I can't believe the game's starting right now. I just would have this weird moment of tension and then they'd drop the puck and somebody would hit me or something and I'd just be lost in the game. That would immediately go away. Like the first time you got hit was like the best thing because you just started, you would just start focusing on what you were doing. Jimmy Smith played all 16 games in all but two seasons. He missed a game in 2000, maybe because of holdout, maybe not. And then he missed four games in 2003. So he's not a serial holder-outer that I characterized him as. Check, please. Thank you. I really thought everybody was going to be in on Thielen. And I know a lot of people do like him, but why is he not a universally uh, praised player? What do, you, what do you think people are missing here? He's white, Scott. So do you think that we, as an industry, overrate this angle? <laughs> you think? It's the injury-prone narrative. <laughs> Does fantasy football saturate us with unfalsifiable claims of injury-proneness? Yes. 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 Definitively, yes. I'm the guy that's drafting the fuck you tight ends. Freak with a capital F at the tight end position. Antonio Gates has been solved. They picked up his contract. That was the data that I needed to know. Was he signed up to play in 2017? Yes. This is not hard. Fantasy football doesn't have to be hard, Scott. If he scores eight touchdowns, I will present you with a powder blue Antonio Gates jersey and an apology. What? What? Why, why is this so silly? Mike Williams? Ah! Eh. Eh. Mike Williams? Ah! Eh. Eh. 
Mike Williams? Ah! Eh. Eh. We're doing route participation as a metric this year, and it's really valuable for tight ends. Now, a lot of times, I just want the guy with the free release. I've never understood putting a player in a stance if you're going to use him primarily as a receiver. You have defenders in college where there's only one guy with his hand in the ground, right? It's like a 10-year incubation for innovation that clearly works and, and is, is intuitive and, and, and is clearly the future to finally get adopted in the NFL. You come in with an idea, with a quote-unquote college idea, it's immediately going to get tattooed on your arm and labeled on you. And if it doesn't work in 10 seconds, people are just going to flip out about it. No, I talked about it on the show that the play where Bill Belichick went for it on fourth and two against Indianapolis with Kevin Falk at his own 30. If that had been converted, how we think about probability theory and play calling on fourth down could have changed dramatically after that call. But because it failed... Yeah. And then he went in front of the media and admitted that he made the wrong play call. You know, that was a death blow. We had the right guy, the right team, in the right situation, calling the right play on fourth and two on the right yard line. Everything was lining up perfectly to change the paradigm with that fourth and two call. And if Kevin Falk were just a little more athletic... <laughs> It all could have been different. But the thing is, when teams do the conventional move, that stuff almost never gets grilled. I I love when you see bad teams in December or maybe, you know, the week 17 where they just have off fuck it games and they go for two liberally or they they go for it on fourth down liberally. I don't know why bad teams don't do, you know, like what the Browns were saying they were going to do. And I don't know how much they've really done it or not. I mean, this team has been bad for so long. They should try all the shit that other teams don't do. They should be. Not only would, would they look great if it worked out, but what do you have to lose? You have a shitty organization anyway. You're going 3-13 and 13 or 4-12 and 12 every year anyway. Yeah, the Jets should do that this year. The Jets should just throw all caution to the wind, throw all their papers up in the air, let them blow away. <laughs> just go for it. And it's going to permeate over time. It's just, we're in this fast-paced, innovative environment where information flows in nanoseconds across the world. And it just feels like progress should happen almost instantaneously. But with this particular thing in football, there's this 10-year gestation cycle. (laughs) It's terrible! To me, that stuff is fascinating. You know, just who's in a better position now? Would you rather be in this position or that position? Or what's who's the favorite now? You know, a team is is ahead in the ninth inning. The other team starts to get runners on. Certain guys are up. You know, who's supposed to win in that position? I mean, that to me, I I always think it's interesting. You know, or, or how, how big are you a favorite in the middle of your fantasy game? You know, I have a 40-point lead on you, but you have two guys left or whatever. You know, stuff like that. People wired like Scott Pianowski are going to keep baseball alive. <laughs> It used to be frustrating for me to see those decisions be made in real time. And as I've matured, I'm just now bemused by it all. Like, look at how badly this coach is violating win probability theory. This is embarrassing. And no one seems to care except a small cadre of ex-fantasy baseball people. (laughs) We're maybe 5, 10, 15 years down the road. Can't wait! 15 years! Yeah! Here we come! Right around the corner! A lot of us industry folk are industry folk. What a lame phrase that was. I didn't believe in him. Oh, I didn't. I had no idea. But I remember seeing him on the waiver wire and go, Nah. 
play football in a vacuum, Scott! They don't! They play football surrounded by either talented or not talented players. Mm -hmm. No, I agree with that. No, I agree with that. No, I agree with that. No, 40% under pressure is really good. Playing football is really hard. Playing quarterbacks, exceptionally hard. Playing quarterback under pressure is damn near impossible. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. I agree with that. I agree with that. Everyone's bidding on players. Some are on the phone. Some are in person. And then we see that just someone on the phone keeps dialing in some mystery bidder and buying all the Doug Martin, but no one can figure out who the hell that person is. Smallwood was... Smallwood! <laughs> I forgot about Wendell Smallwood. I forgot about him. He, I erased him from my memory banks. You bringing up that name was just like a... It was like shining a laser into my brain. I was like, whoa, that guy! Oh, God. Kareem Hunt, get out of here. <laughs> The small school mid-round running back. Yeah, let's get excited about this guy. It's so arbitrary the way they get excited about Kareem Hunt, but there's no enthusiasm around Marlon Mack. Get out of here. And then they go out drinking, and they get kicked off the team. The next thing they know, they're on the New York Jets. <laughs> I can tell you that when Russell Wilson was filmed working out as he's filmed every day on instagram working out in california three players were with him of course doug baldwin jimmy graham and paul richardson paul richardson is working his ass off this offseason he broke his leg twice big deal torn acl twice a lot of players in the nfl have torn their acl twice including the guy you mentioned Frank Gore. Frank Gore tore his ACL twice and then went on to never miss another game. Curly, hey! And imagine if he had curly hair. It'd be cool.